This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Welcome back to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Michael here with you. And uh, for the second day in a row this week, uh, my wife, Brianne Fueling, is uh, with us. We are talking about women in ministry. And uh, I want to ask if you if you didn't get a chance to listen to Wednesday's episode, uh, I want to ask if you'd go back and listen to that. It really sets some foundation and context uh, about what we're going to talk about today. And um, But uh, we're going to kind of get right into some of the meat of, of this issue. And the question for today is this. Is there any biblical evidence that women should not preach? Awesome question. So here, here's what I want to do. Um, I want to set up a little bit of historical context in Scripture. And then what we're going to do is, Brian and I, we're going to open up 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11 to 15. And uh, we're going to walk through that and just give a little bit of an exposition of that. There's a bit of historical context in there. And then we're going to talk about uh, how this applies uh, at Village Church. What are some of the decisions that we've made and not made uh, to be as faithful as we can to Scripture and to the high value of releasing women as leaders and teachers at the Village Church? Sound good? So um, here's just a little bit of of history uh, throughout Scripture. Uh, every role in the Bible that has been explicitly spiritual leadership um, where God has appointed a leader, it has been a man. Um, so that that's going to be really important. But it did not mean that there were not women leaders in Scripture. So you go back from Abraham to Moses. Um, you just follow the trail of all of the kings, um, all of the 12 disciples, right? All of them were men. There, there is an exception category of judge. Um, judge had a very different role. It was much more of a political leadership position, which I think is going to become really important because one of the things that Christians should advocate strongly is for female political leadership. And uh, the judges seem to have a much more political focus rather than spiritual focus. Uh, it's a very different level of leadership for the judges. But um, there is one uh, female judge. Her name is Deborah. Great leader. Awesome. Um, some people have tried to advocate that the reason she was put into leadership is because none of the men would step up, which is true. But if it was sinful for her to be a judge, then God would have never appointed it. Um, so. But I think most would agree that there is a there is a significant difference between a judge and a king, a judge in the role of Moses or the role of Abraham, etc. When we get to Jesus, who is one of the most powerful uh, proponents of of women, um, promoting them, uh, never once chose them to be one of his twelve. When we get to Acts six and we get the beginning of the office of the deacons, none of them are women. Um, and, and of course, if you're looking at the Bible externally, you, your automatic conclusion is that um, this is patriarchy at its worst, and uh, God is a patriarchal misogynist. And um, on the other hand, if, if you're looking at the Bible as God is infinitely holy and good and wise, um, you really can't come to that conclusion. That being said, throughout Scripture, um, women are elevated to numerous leadership positions. And so, for example, you're going to have Miriam, uh, the sister of Moses, who is a prophet, which is an incredibly elevated and really important role of spiritual leadership in the community of God's people. Um, she wasn't the main guy. Her brother was the main guy. That would be Moses. Um, you get an example of like Deborah, who also was an incredible leader, mostly a political leader as, as a judge. 
in the New Testament, you have this power couple, Priscilla and Aquila. Um, it's really interesting that Priscilla is identified first. In this culture, almost always the husband would have been identified first. And she was an incredible teacher, and she was actually used um, to bring Apollos, I believe it was, to faith and to teach him the Word of God, who became one of the master expositors and Bible teachers of the first century. And uh, so what we find here is that she's even given this elevated position. She seemed to be even more influential than her husband, which is pretty amazing. You have Phoebe in Romans. She's called a, uh, a servant or a deacon. We don't know which one it is because the word can go both ways. And um, either way, we're not talking about deacons, so that would be a different podcast. Can women be be deacons? But at, at the very least, what you find is is uh, she is just elevated as respected and appreciated. You have uh, female prophets throughout the book of Acts. Um, you have women uh, leading probably in music. You have women leading in prayer and in different avenues. Uh, but once you get to the pastoral offices, we have zero examples of women as pastors. So one of the, we'll just say current day, we'll say disagreements, and I'm going to use two churches to illustrate this. Church A would be the village church, and church B would be, uh, we'll just say, uh, a church in the Chicago area for kicks and giggles. So um, church A, village village church, um, is going to not have women pastors, okay? Uh, but Church B does have women pastors. And if you go to Church B and you grew up in this church, this is a very normal thing, right? Um, you probably don't even have a category of why women couldn't be pastors. In fact, um, I've talked to a handful of people who go to churches like this, and their response is, why would anybody not let a woman be a pastor? That's just oppressive. Like, um, women can do anything that men can do. And yes, women can do most things that men can do, but men cannot give birth. Let's be clear, we can't do that. Uh, but yeah, and functionally, like, women are not less smart or less capable. or In fact, I think at times, Brian, you would be a better lead pastor than I would, and you'd bring more compassion to the table and a better holistic picture. And um, and uh, this has nothing to do with better or worse. Um, and, uh, and yet, here's one of the questions that I like to pose to people. Can you give me any example anywhere where there is a woman pastor or where women are encouraged to be pastors? at all anywhere in the Bible. And the hard thing that a lot of people don't totally realize who grew up in church B, where women are normally normally in pastoral leadership, is that it's actually nowhere. Um, in fact, when the Bible gives qualifications and restrictions in Titus and Timothy, it references them in the masculine. And um, and so that, that does become sort of a challenge. And so one of the realities that we, we have to push back and say, um, we can't find in scripture anywhere where women are advocated or pushed or encouraged or promoted or even an example of one who is in pastoral leadership. And the Bible is one of the most liberating books for women. Jesus, Paul, were so passionate about releasing and empowering women and, and stopping oppression of women in ways that were so life-changing and culture-changing. If this was really something they wanted to do, they pushed the boundaries so much, this would have been a really logical next step for them. And so that's one of my personal challenges for people who are advocates of women being pastors is I know what culture says, and I know that there are churches that do this, but there seems to be no biblical evidence for it at all anywhere. In fact, the only way we can get there is to say the following— um, the Bible never advocated it. In fact, it probably restricted it, but that's 
purely cultural, and now culture has changed, and therefore we can. Uh, there are other you know, defenses for it, but at, at the core, the only way to get there is to say something has changed from the expectations of the first century church to the expectations of the 21st century church. And that that is a slippery slope um, to go down. Um, but whenever we have the dialogue, if we're going to have it on biblical terms, um, we have to start off with the right premise. And the right premise is there are no examples. There are no illustrations. And yet, there are constant illustrations of women elevated to leadership positions, respected positions, spiritual leadership positions, um, and uh, over, uh, we'll say, men and women and children. And um, and that is something that's good. And right now what we're focusing on is very simply the position of pastor. Uh, the position, sometimes the Bible calls it an elder or a bishop or a pastor or a shepherd or an overseer. They're all synonyms for this office of oversight for for the local church. So, Brian, let me now punt to you. I've done enough talking for the moment. Um, the question is, is there any biblical evidence that a woman, that a woman should not preach or be a pastor? Um, can you just, can you talk on that from your perspective in terms of the biblical evidence? So, I think for me, the greatest evidence that I have investigated and wrestled with come from two different passages, along with everything that you have um, said already. I think... I, I will say that I wish sometimes this was a little bit more black and white laid out into the New Testament. I think some people see it as black and white, but I think sometimes when I look at the whole concept of the New Testament and all the different characters that played into things, sometimes I do just wish it was a little bit more black and white. And so I think this is an important point of even how we build a theology. What we're talking about here is that we don't build a theology from one passage. We look at the movement of Jesus and the way he interacts with people and we look at these different passages and we build a theology by looking at all of it. And so when we talk about passages specifically, I think one of the passages that comes to mind is Titus 1, when he's giving the qualifications for an elder, which is what we would call a pastor, the person who has that authority, as you referred to, in the church. And he talks about them being the husband of one wife. And so there is an inexplicably clear male Requirement. Requirement. That's a good word. <laughs> um, inexplicably male requirement in that passage. I think another passage that goes along with that is First Timothy 2 in the middle portion there of the chapter. Verse 11 is kind of where it starts, and it says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And so I think there's a lot of cultural context that goes into that, the first 11 and 12 part of that verse. And again, I don't, if we were to create our entire theology over women in the church out of this verse, I think it could be super dangerous. But I think verse 13 points to a very fundamental, important concept that we're building this off of the created order and that Adam was formed first. And so there is a, construct there that is to be honored across culture and over culture throughout the whole history of the church moving forward. Mm. Yeah. Like if you just took, I think you hit something really important. If you took first Timothy chapter two, verse 12, uh, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Verse 11 says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. 
so some pastors like to say, oh, you're just misunderstanding it because of context, and they try to make everything like better than it really is. This is objectively one of those passages that is because of the heat around certain words like quiet and submissive is so misunderstood. It's almost really sad that I, I wish the ESV translators could use better words that weren't as heated because uh, this would not, this should not land difficult, especially if some of the, the context, like there's probably two big pieces of context in this chapter alone that mm-hmm. would help us understand. Like one of it is, um, Ephesian women had reputations, and um, and part of this is to say, hey, look, in the culture, there are ways that you're allowed to act, but in the church, like when it when when they're teaching, you can't be you can't do the things that you're used to doing. You have to mm-hmm. be quiet in certain moments, and and uh, I know that in the cultural world, you're able to be the primary teachers and the point authority right. in your place, but. God's church has a different design right. here. And it's not saying you can't pray or prophesy or do all the things like you're allowed to talk. <laughs> right. So like in the Ephesian church, it was heavily steeped in the female female dominated and female kind of um, leadership role, female led worship of Diana or Artemis. And so mm-hmm. he's speaking very harshly here to this one group who, who really did have it out of balance. Yep. And so, although I think that there is a theme here that it's continually be applied, I think it's important then we look at the audience and what he's talking about here, that that is why I think it's being so harsh is because they were really being inappropriate in the yep. way that they were asserting their authority and asserting their leadership and um, yep. not respecting the created order in the way that they were going about their worship services. Yep. Can I just chime in there? Because there's a verse right before this that is uh, also super... I would say not necessarily misunderstood, but the context isn't understood. So Artemis is a fertility goddess. Right. And these women were the high priestess. They Their sexuality um, was their power. And um, they it was just a very, I mean, sexual rights. Just ton- mm-hmm. I mean, I don't mean rights like obligations. I mean, uh, rituals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a very dark sexual culture that they came out of and women were empowered here. And- right. They had a lot of control. And so if you think back to the last podcast that we did, mm-hmm. you can really just understand even the nature of of women probably mm-hmm. like really loving that control and yeah, loving sure. the fact that in other areas of life, they were maybe suppressed. But here in this temple and in this practice with the fertility goddess, they got to be yep. kind of honored and they got to have Which control. Like control. Like men use their physical strength to get control. Women use their sexuality. Mm-hmm. To con- we all we all use what we got to mm-hmm. get control. So Paul right before this says, I desire that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger, anger or quarreling. Likewise, also the woman, women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel. And this is in distinction to the hypersexualized right. Dianus Artemis culture that's developed there. Uh, they should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control and not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. And the point of this is not to say that women can't look nice. They're mm-hmm. they're actually addressing some of the hypersexualized culture that came mm-hmm. out of the Artemis Diana worship cult. To and, draw uh, attention to their bodies sexuality. and to themselves' sexuality. Yeah. And then he says, um, but what with with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good mm-hmm. works. Like, mm-hmm. don't draw men to yourself through your sexuality. Draw them to yourself mm-hmm. through your character. That's, like, right. huge. And don't, don't lead in the church through your pride or sense of controlling or sense of being loud or sense of, like, asserting yourself. Yep. But also be a part of the church and be a part, even with your gifts, being able to have, like, a quiet spirit that is not 
prideful and not having to assert yourself, one that listens and one that receives also. Yep. Because in this culture, the women weren't the receivers, they were the givers, Mm -hmm. you know? And so the point, you know, the point of Paul is not to oppress women, but I think you hit the nail on the head. It's to really give a really direct, culturally appropriate rebuke for some of the strong tendencies that they have. And then you can hear the response of the women. The women are like, that's not fair. Um, that that's not good. And and here's what he does. And you 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 said this already in verse 13. He says, "Okay, let me tell you why." Mm-hmm. Because Adam right, he's was, not just making this up. Like, yeah. mm, I don't like you today, and yeah. so I'm going to take away your leadership. Yeah, he goes right back to the created order, and he said, "Because Adam was formed first, and then Eve." And that and again, 21st century Americans, we don't really value firstborn, but. The firstborn in Scripture is vested with authority and responsibility. Uh, it's it's when there is a conflict, the firstborn makes the decision. It's a right. It's a benefit. It's a perk. Jesus is the firstborn of creation, which means he's given leadership. and And Adam was created first by God to communicate the firstborn principle, which is the firstborn has unique responsibility of servant leadership. And uh, and he goes back and says, look, look, ladies, this is not like me being a misogynistic patriarchal bigot. This is me saying mm-hmm. God has designed sex with order and there are different responsibilities within this created within this created order. And um, and so it's it's a powerful, powerful sentence that that he says. And I think if we were to, like we just talked about before, looking at a theology of things. So if you were just, again, to like focus in on that, you'd miss the fact that Paul like 100% championed women and was revolutionary for his day in the way that he elevated women to ministry and service and trusted them. And he yep. gave them letters to deliver and he gave them all sorts of authority in, in, in that sense to be able to minister the gospel to people. Mm. But I think when it does come down to this role of, elder, pastor, whatever word you want to use for that. Mm -hmm. I do think that there is a clear biblical concept of him just being able to say, hey, look, this is the way that God set up the created order. And there's blessing in being able to enjoy that Mm -hmm. and being able to relish in that and yet not allow that to squish or turn off the giftings that he's made for so many women who have the gift of leadership, who have the gift of teaching and who have Mm -hmm. all these gifts. Um, to play a role in the church and a role in the message of the gospel um, and what that looks like. So I think even for us at Village Church, like we have women who are in so many different roles. We have women who are community group leaders along along with their husbands, but they have the opportunity to be heralders of the gospel and to lead discussion and stuff like that in those contexts. We have women who are ministry directors. Worship leaders. Worship leaders. I have the opportunity to, to teach in small groups of Men and women, usually that is with a mental health focus because that is kind of where my giftings intersect with my professional career to be Mm -hmm. able to say, hey, look, this is what we're talking about in terms of parenting or whatever it may be. I think that we do a great job of honoring women in the ministry that they do, of empowering them and of releasing them. Um, I, I grew up with a dad who championed me 100% in terms of building up my giftings and being excited about them and being proud of them Mm. and giving me opportunity and never making me feel squished. But I know that that is the experience that so many women have 
grown up with is yep. the opportunity of feeling squished for these giftings and not knowing how to use them. And so I think it's very important when we talk about women in ministry and we talk about any scripture that is not for being pastors, I think that we can quickly feel like we've been boundaried or we've been put in a box or we've been kind of cast aside. But when we look at the New Testament, we continually see that Paul especially, he released women into ministry. Mm-hmm. This boundaried area of pastors and elders was not the obsessive focus. Um, that was just part of the created order to be respected and to be enjoyed for the freedom that that can bring when we submit yeah. to that. But that wasn't the focus. The focus was time after time and woman after woman absolutely being released into the areas of service and the areas of ministry that she could just absolutely flourish in and could grow the kingdom of God. You know, we talked earlier about the 12 disciples were men, but we know very clearly that in his, in Jesus's like, gang or band of people, whatever you would call them. Like there were many women who traveled with him and ministered with him and were right there alongside of him the entire time. And those women were special to him and he honored them. Um, Now they weren't part of the 12 disciples, but they were there with him the entire time. They weren't shut out. They weren't put to the side. When he resurrected, who did he appear to first? He appeared to some of those same women. The ladies. To be able to herald the power that he had just overcome death and so Mm. um, i think time and time again i i mean i literally have about like 15 more examples but i won't say them all right now in terms of how the how jesus and paul just continued to elevate women and empower them to minister and um, then release them for ministry in uh, verse 12 he says um I do not permit a woman to teach or or to exercise authority over man and i think what's really important here is that um, not only does the context tell us this, but the so what of that is he's referring to the office of elder pastor, uh, this authoritative teaching office. And you might say, okay, Michael, how do you know that? Because um, the very next section is the qualifications for overseers. And he says, look, ladies, I understand what culture tells you and everything's okay. And you've used, used your sexuality to get what you want. Things are going to be different now. We have to restrain that. Um, your char- you, you are more than your sexuality. You are your character. Um and I know that you want to be the teachers, but God, because the created order, God has a design that is good and healthy and the best. And I know that it's not convenient for your culture, but uh, but then he says this: the saying is trustworthy. Anybody who, anyone who aspires to the office of overseer, desires a noble task. And women, like I, I honestly think there's a there's a comment here to the women, like I, that's a really great desire. Like there's an affirmation across sexes here of that affirmation. But he says this: therefore, an overseer must be above reproach the husband of one wife, and right off the bat restrains this authoritative teaching office. And I think this is the flow of the text on purpose, not because Paul or God is misogynistic and patriarchal, but because there is a design and a created order that God has intended it to function really, really well. Mm-hmm. We could spend hours talking about we really why, could. Mm-hmm. even if we never had a reason why. I mean, there are millions of good reasons why. God's infinitely wise. He's a perfect creator and designer. And it's we we need to check ourselves when we start going against that created design. Now, to the credit of any church that has women pastors, they're not trying to buck God's design no. at all. Like I I don't I can't think of any any pastor of any church that has women pastors. They they think and believe what they're doing is great. I would still right. point back to them and say, "Show me Anywhere because of the way that they interpret these passages, um, yeah, you know, 
it, for the most part, it does not come down to the interpretation of these passages. It comes down to that these passages are not culturally relevant, um, that we are now in a new culture and context. And because this was written for that culture, um, they don't apply here, which is a really, really, I mean, I'll say dangerous way to view the Bible um, mm-hmm. because this is why. Because that can continue to overflow into so many different areas. It's the same basis for f- affirming homosexuality. It's never mm-hmm. affirmed, um, but that same um, interpretive grid when applied to other areas becomes very permissive. So I think one of the greatest joys of our Lives as Christians is sometimes um, walking by faith and not by sight and sometimes being able to say, Lord, okay, I don't totally understand why you set up that system for sexuality or that system for um, prayer or that system for parenting or whatever it may be. Yet at the same time, I'm going to, I am submitting to you because I'm going to believe that you're going to be really good at being God because that's who you are and you're perfect at it actually. Yep. And so I may not understand the system. I may not understand the way that this goes. Um, I may not have created it the same way if it was up to me. However, good that's part of, God. exactly. That's part <laughs> of you being God and me not being God is to be able to say, but yet at the same time, I love that you are perfect and I love that you are holy, that you are set apart and that you create systems different than the way that my mind would create them. And I'm going to, Love that about you and mm. submit to that. Yep. Let's close with maybe this. My, one of my favorite one-liners. Um, if I, God, if I knew what you knew, I would do what you did every time. Mm. If I had your heart, I would see the world you, the way you see it every time. If I felt what you felt, I would respond the way you respond every time. And uh, God is infinite in, in goodness and in wisdom and in holiness. And uh, we are not. We are limited. He is infinite. Mm-hmm. We see limited things that are skewed by culture, Christians, non-Christians, everybody. Mm-hmm. God sees perfectly and clearly everything. Right. And so that's where we got to bend the knee to the perfect, omniscient, holy, righteous judge, mm-hmm. God, loving, benevolent creator, who is also a designer and a system builder that creates things to work impeccably. And to give us freedom and to bring us joy and to bring us peace and so many other things that are qualities of going with his design. And I think for me, there's... So many opportunities that I've had to be able to try to redo systems than he has or, or, or do things in a different way. And I feel like I've come to a place in my life where my heart's desire, I may not do it perfectly all the time, but my heart's desire is to be submissive to the way that he does things because I know that he is good. It's not just that he's God, but that he's good. Mm. And that sometimes that is, feels a little unsafe and feels a little uncomfortable to me, but that at the end, it is very good for me. Yep. Well, thank you for being here this week. Uh, I want to invite you guys back next week. Pastor Tim will be back with us. And uh, I did a sermon recently on uh, rewards in heaven. It actually wasn't the main point, but it came up quite a bit. And uh, we're going to be answering a, f- a handful of questions next week that came in. And here's the question for Monday. How can one person receive better awards or rewards than another in heaven? Isn't heaven already perfect and everything equal? Great question. Can't wait to answer that. We'll see you guys Monday. Monday.